0: This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One.
1: Previously on Colors. What does it mean to be Asian in America?
0: Uh, I think that we're all unique and different. We come from different cultures and backgrounds. We come from unique stories, not just as a group, but just as individual humans. When I think about the groups, however, I know that the Lao experience um, and also the Southeast Asian experience for many of us, uh, the distinction would be that many of us fled war.
1: Some extraordinary research
2: from the Pew Research Organization. Coming up in this episode of Colors. Was the American Civil War fought because of slavery? More than 150 years later, this remains a controversial question. Why? Because many people don't want to believe that the citizens of the southern states were willing to fight and die to preserve a morally repugnant institution. Ty Sedgley, retired
1: brigadier general and professor at Hamilton College talks with us.
2: There has to be another reason we are told. Well, there isn't. The evidence is clear and overwhelming. Slavery was, by a wide margin, the single most important cause of the Civil War.
0: That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions.
1: Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I
2: can't breathe. I can't breathe.
1: The search for solutions starts
0: here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.
1: Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys.
0: identify as a black
1: latina. My name is Jerry. I'm an African-American from Bowie, Maryland, by way of St. Croix, U.S. Virgin Islands.
2: My name is Katie Musselman. I am a Korean adoptee who was raised and currently live in Harleysville, Pennsylvania.
1: And I'm J.J. Green. I'm black. And this is Colors. The Civil War. Why was it fought? Slavery plays a key role in this discussion, which often turns into arguments. And oftentimes there are truths, there are falsehoods, and there are things that are somewhere in between. To figure it all out, we have Ty Sedgley, who's a retired brigadier general, a professor at Hamilton College, and a professor emeritus at West Point. Thank you for agreeing to talk with us. Um, I was reading a piece in The Guardian. um, And in that piece, it had a uh, clip from your, well, basically a link to your online video was the Civil War about slavery. And you ask a question at the beginning of that video where you who essentially ask people why, well, basically, let me put it this way. Let me just start all over. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I appreciate your work, what you've done. I appreciate uh, everything that you have done in your career and this work that you've done in terms of helping us to understand the Civil War better. Uh, You did an online video that was mentioned in an article by The Guardian and was the Civil War about slavery. And uh, basically what you said in that uh, video was that a lot of people had trouble believing that the war really was about slavery, but you essentially um, put down the gauntlet and said, yes, it was, and there's no other way to look at it, right?
2: That's, that's absolutely. Thank you for having me, JJ. That's exactly right. Uh, there is, you know, it's like a good real estate. There are three reasons for the cause of the Civil War, slavery, slavery, and slavery.
1: Yeah. So I thank you for uh, pointing that out. But but tell us why, um, how you arrived at that conclusion. I, I, I know why I arrived at it and others, but tell us why you, how you arrived at that conclusion.
2: Well, I, I, you know, I'm I'm a, a soldier and a scholar and a, and a Southerner. Of course, I'm I'm a uh, you know sometimes we say Southerner and we we leave the white part out, but I'm a white Southerner, and I grew up with this myth of the lost cause that says that slave that the Civil War wasn't really about slavery, that enslaved people were happy and hardworking, uh, and that Reconstruction was a failure and that Robert E. Lee was great. So this is what I grew up with in Alexandria, Virginia. But what I found when I did the research is particularly about slavery, the evidence is just clear, you don't have to believe me, read the Southern states' secessions uh, documents and they say, we're going to war for slavery. They had conventions where they said, we wanna protect and expand slavery. They wanna send it to Cuba, to Mexico, to California, to South America. So that their documents are clear, their vice president said that slavery was the cornerstone of of their their new government. And you look at the constitution, the only difference really is that slavery is protected in the Confederate constitution. So the evidence is overwhelming that slavery, uh, that the reason the, the Southern states seceded was to protect and expand the institution of slavery.
1: And so after you present those documents, those facts to people who don't either don't know about it or, or don't want to embrace it, what's the usual, what's the general response?
2: Well, when I did it five years ago, when I did it 10 years ago, it's anger. Uh, and I got, you know, I got death threats to my West Point email address to an army officer for saying this. I, the army investigated me for political speech. Um, I got criticized from from different newspaper accounts. And And the reason is, is that history is dangerous because it goes after our myths and our identities. And when someone challenges your myths or identities, the reaction is ferocious. And for particular people that grew up in the South and not only the South, white Southerners, um this goes after their identity and particularly having me do this in my blue army uniform uh as a white southerner it it made people really really angry and uh I had no idea that it would would garner such uh, emotion but boy did it
1: so I'd like to ask though why did you do that in uniform
2: Well I you know that's who I am I'm a I'm I'm a soldier I'm proud to be a soldier you know I'm a I consider myself a patriot. I served in the U.S. Army for nearly 36 years, and it's my ident- That's my identity. So I didn't think there was anything wrong with with saying a historical fact. I thought it would be great for West Point to say that we were up, we were. Uh, doing publicity for a book that we put together called the West Point history of the civil war. And I was proud to serve in uniform. And I thought this would be, I I don't, I didn't even think about it really. And I got permission to do it It, because nobody thought it was a big deal for me to talk about a subject of my expertise. But, but again, history is dangerous. And when people saw that they were really, really upset.
1: Yeah. And for, for those that don't know, Ty Sedgley is a retired brigadier general. So this clearly was not something that um the, the army didn't know about like you said you got permission to do this so uh clearly you were stunned or, or at least surprised by the the backlash that you got um what did you do about that backlash
2: well i mean in, in a way i you know i i was it was scary because it wasn't scary because of the death threats it was scary because i was afraid the army was gonna it was gonna ruin my you know it was kind of end my career then um so i think i, I But so in in a way, I didn't do as much publicly after that. But boy, did I research the heck out of it. And I went and gave talks in person. And I because the army really did did not West Point did not allow me to talk to the press after that. So I knew I couldn't do that in uniform. Um, uh, So I I stopped doing that. But I did keep researching about why this upset people so much and why did they do that? And and so what I realized is, is that I couldn't convince people by just being an um, army officer, Ty Sigley, I had to tell them my own story. Yeah. I had to tell, be honest and vulnerable to say, hey, I grew up with these lies too. And maybe if I tell my own story, perhaps more people would listen to me.
1: You know, one of the things that I found is very hard for people is truth. And it's, you know, can be a, a, a major subject like that or something really small like interactions between colleagues. You know, a lot of people know what's right. Well, most folks know what's right and what's wrong, but they don't often, sometimes people don't like what's right. They want, you know, they would rather do the thing that they know is not right because that's just what they, who they are. And, you know, you get this so often, you know, where people, you know, would rather whisper. They would rather uh, isolate people. They would rather gossip. Uh, They would rather do things that help them, uh, I suppose, push their own agenda as opposed to what's right. And and what you did and are still doing is the right thing to do, because like it or not, it's true. You know what I'm saying?
2: (laughs) Yeah, the Uh, facts are there. It's the facts. I'm telling people the facts, but I'm telling it through my own story to try to make people understand it and so that they can uh, they can change their mind uh by by because listen, you don't own what happened in the eighteen sixties or the nineteen thirties, but you have a responsibility to understand the pack the facts, the past, because if we understand those facts, particularly about these hard subjects, we'll be better, more empathetic citizens in the future.
1: And this is a really big deal right now because of some other work that you're involved in. You're you're a member of the naming commission that was set up in the aftermath of the the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis by uh, some police officers there. And, uh, you know, one of the key questions that I have is, you know, there are a lot of memorials and a lot of roads and a lot of buildings that are named after soldiers, Confederate soldiers who wanted to keep blacks enslaved and wanted uh, the South to leave the union. And the the question I have to ask is how did they get memorials and, 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 Buildings and roads and things named after them in the first place.
2: Yeah, I, I, you know we have we have uh, over a thousand things named after Confederates, from roads to to army posts uh, and ships and, and other things that through the years that have been named after them. So it comes in two phases: World War One and World War II. And it comes at a time in World War One where Jim Crow has been ensconced in America. So if you think during Reconstruction that. Um, that Black Americans could vote. There were 2,000 Black men that served in uh, high office, in elected office. But starting in the 1890s, um, the Southern states, through white terror, um, changed that. They rewrite their constitutions and it becomes a racial police state in the American South. And when that occurs, then the the, the time Democratic Party is in complete control. It's a one-party racial police state. And so to get anything through Congress, You have to appease those Southern um, segregationists who control all everything. So one, the army is segregationist because there are only a couple of regiments, Buffalo soldiers uh, among them, who can serve. uh, And it's controlled by white officers who are segregationists and racist. Um, So they're named in World War I and they're named in World War II. Also, when the army is segregationist, it's a Jim Crow army um, and and Black people have been completely disenfranchised. So even though there are African-Americans who are protesting the, the names of World War I and World War II, they don't have any power because they've been disenfranchised. So that's when they name it, during this era of the of, of virulent white supremacy, when the at the height of lynching, at the height of Confederate memorials being built, um, at the height of Black disenfranchisement, that's when we get the names of army posts named after Confederates.
1: So where does the work of the Naming Commission stand right now?
2: Well, we have uh, delivered um, two of the three. Uh, um, we have delivered two of the three reports. Uh, we'll deliver the third report here shortly um, and we will be done by the 30th of September. And then uh, the report will be given to the House and Senate Armed Services Committee. And then will be the, the Secretary of Defense will implement it uh, by the by the beginning of 2024. So we have already uh, given names that we think are the ones that should be recommended names for those that, uh, that's, that currently serve the Confederacy. We are going to rename those. Um, uh, we're not renaming of secretary of defense will, but we we've, we've given recommendations.
1: So this is, this is yet to happen. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming you, you, you haven't or not, are not going to reveal the, basically the what you, your work until it's been presented. Um, but would you say that this? Did you find this this work or the outcome of the work that you did satisfactory?
2: Oh my gosh, yes! And 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 JJ, we have released that those nine names have been released, um, and you know we're very excited that for the first time we have uh, there are going to be people of color who are these spaces are named after. Fort Lee will be named after two. Uh, black logisticians, um, Lieutenant General Greg, and uh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm missing I, let me see who the other one is. Uh, um, uh, Charity Adams. Um, we're naming one after a soldier who received the Medal of Honor, of World War I, a black soldier, uh, Henry Johnson, Medal of Honor recipient, the, the first women ever, uh, the only woman who's a Medal of Honor winner, uh, Mary Walker, uh, the first family member. Um, uh, Julia Moore, Hal and Julia Moore at, at what is now Fort Benning, and the first uh, Latino four-star general, uh, General Cavazos, were in Texas. So we're really proud. Also, uh, uh, Fort Barfoot will be at, in Virginia, um, who is, uh, he is a Choctaw Indian, uh, Native American. So yeah, we, we, we have given suggestions. Now, you know, the Secretary of Defense has to take those suggestions, but we're very proud to make sure that these, these are, I mean, unbelievable Americans. It's not just we didn't just do this for diversity's sake. We did it because they're among the most uh, uh, the most amazing American soldiers uh, that, that serve people who serve the army that we that I've ever seen.
1: You know what? You're exactly right about that. It's not just in name. It's not just something you're doing because it's the right thing to do right now. It's something you're doing this because it's overdue, and um, this is something that needs to be done for the future and. Uh, You know, I found the names. I realized I did hear a couple of them, but I have the names, as you mentioned, Fort Fort Moore will be what used to be Fort, what is Fort Benning now. Fort Liberty will replace Fort Bragg. Fort Eisenhower will replace Fort Gordon. Fort Walker will replace Fort AP Hill in Virginia. Fort Cavazos replaces Fort Hood. Fort Greg Adams replaces Fort Lee. Fort Barfoot replaces Fort Pickett. Fort Johnson replaces Fort Polk, and Fort Novosel report replaces Fort Rucker in Alabama. So that's extraordinary work. Thank you, sir.
2: Oh my gosh, we're you know I, the team that we have for the naming commission are just amazing Americans who have all taken that oath. Remember that the oath everybody takes uh, that to serve the United States government, the federal government, was written in 1862. It's an anti-Confederate oath. So the idea that 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 I got to take that oath again, along with my fellow commissioners, uh, led by Admiral Michelle Howard, has just been extraordinary. I I can't tell you this was you know, I I retired from the Army so that I could help uh, the Army do this. I had no idea how I was going to do it. Uh, But Congress is the one that led this fight. And, you know, it overrode President Trump's veto by a supermajority to create this commission. And it's the most I'm more proud of this work than anything I've ever done in my life. Um, to make sure that uh, that the army posts uh, reflect um, the courage of the American soldier so that everywhere that, that th- these that no one will be named after someone who chose treason to preserve slavery and instead we will have inspirational stories uh, for soldiers and for all Americans.
1: That's right and generals, I know you don't like that term, but I'm using it right now because <laughs> you, it, it, it applies right now. Um, you know, During your time in the military and teaching at West Point, um, there was a discovery made of uh, a panel that I believe actually was at uh, West Point. And it had an image on it, and the image was described as Ku Klux Klan. And I don't want to distort the reality of this, but I want to allow you to put into context what this is and what the, what the situation where it stands right now.
2: Well, it, it's a three ten, It's a triptych. There are three 10 foot by four foot bronze panels that are in a, a spot on West Point. And the Ku Cloth Klan is probably maybe a six inch um, uh, diameter circle and one of over 200 on this larger triptych. And I you know, sort of discovered it uh, 10 years ago. I mean, I'm putting discover in air quotes because it's been there the whole time. It's been there for 60 years, 50 years. Uh, but I sort of found it when I was looking carefully at these at these iconography at West Point and, and it certainly shocked me when I saw it. And the, the artist may have been trying to show the good and the bad of American history, but there's no context there. And so when we saw this, basically the commission just said, it's wrong. And there are also uh, but, but it's outside our remit because the KKK was not a Civil War entity. This came up after the war. It doesn't commemorate the Confederates, even though Confederates were, were, were ex-Confederates. Former Confederates were, were, were part of what founded it. But it is something that we felt was wrong. And there are on that triptych. There are also uh, Lee and Stewart and Jackson, so there are Confederates that are on there that did fall within our remit. So when we look at this, even though it was in a larger thing, we certainly felt, I'll just tell you, J.J., we, we thought it was wrong. And so we wanted to make sure that we let the Secretary of Defense know about it. And uh, listen, I, I, you know, I served at West Point. I love West Point. I love West Point's mission to educate, train, and inspire leaders, uh, uh, leaders of character who serve the nation um, uh, with the values of duty on our country. And I know West Point will do the right thing now that 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 has been pointed out and that the commission has sort of told uh, given West Point some, some marching orders, but, but they're going to be the ones that decide, but they're not going to decide, of course, you know, until SecDef gives them uh, the go ahead. But I, 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 I'm confident that that West Point will do the right thing because they want to make sure that their iconography matches their mission statement.
1: Okay. Um, A couple of more things I want to ask you. Um, The broader question of race in America today, in my view, and based on a lot that I've seen since the George Floyd murder. And, you know, a lot of the stuff was there, has been there for years. Um, it's been in the background. Uh, in some cases it, you know, it, it explodes to the forefront. We deal with it for a little while, but then it kind of retreats into the background, but it never seems to go away. And that is the racism that seems to be so pervasive in this country. Why do you believe that is?
2: Well, um, you know, I the last one of the last line in my book is that um is that racism is the virus in the american dirt. um it's you know it's it's our eternal pandemic and this goes back because our history is is in slavery and segregation have been a part of our our history for so long and so those are sort of baked in to the problems that we have today. And that's why you know i think that the only way to overcome this is to is to be open and talk about it and and it, it listen it's uncomfortable to uh, to talk about it but Discomfort causes no lasting damage. Americans aren't made out of cotton candy. We can handle talking about the uncomfortable and the awful and the horrible things of our past. rape I mean, uh, uh, slavery featured rape. It featured um, torture. It featured br- the, one of the worst parts, breaking families apart. 40% of enslaved families were broken apart for profit. And, and, and then we also have to talk about segregation and the lynching era. And so these things are uncomfortable. But the thing is, when you engage them, you become a better citizen. You become more empathetic, and so and that's if you think about other cultures, they have been able to do that. I, I particularly think about the Germans who have been dealing with their uh, tra- uh, their traumatic, their horrific past in a way that is more open than we have. And when we deal with it openly, I think we become better Americans.
1: You're absolutely right. And when we deal with it honestly, and in doing so, we have to accept and understand and talk about the fact that racism is not just the purview of whites in America. Um, There are others. Blacks engage in it. People of other races engage in it. Everybody that engages in it is wrong and need to stop it. And, you know, one of the things that quite often happens but doesn't get a lot of attention is people... That essentially subject members of their own race to the racism that they have experienced because of, you know, some some call it self hatred or whatever. All of that is the legacy, a terrible legacy of of racism that has to be eradicated. Quite frankly, and that's just my opinion. And I think what you have done, the work you've done, has set us on a great path to do that. Ty Sedgley's book is called Robert E. Lee and Me, A Southerner's Reckoning with the Myth of the Lost Cause. So I just want to ask you one more thing before we uh, wrap this up today. Um, Where do you uh, stand right now in your work and what do you think we need still to do in this nation to get to where we need to be?
2: Well, you know, I I continue to to talk whenever I can, uh, however I can, about my own story of growing up with these lies. And I grew up there in Alexandria. Um, you know, when, when, which I didn't even realize, Alexander used to be part of the district. It left to protect slavery uh, in 1847. So I try to tell these stories to 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 more Americans. My my next book I'm working on is about the, a protest movement at West Point um, uh, to stop a Confederate monument that uh, that African American cadets led in the early 1970s. Um, so I, I continue to try to find stories to talk about race in America and to talk about this issue that that uh, that separates us. And yet, and yet it's, it's something that we all share. And so, you know, I do, I love my country. I consider myself a patriot. But as James Baldwin, the great black, one of the great black writers of the 20th century said, is that I love my country more than any other. And therefore, I must criticize her, because to criticize her is to want to be have a better country, a better people. So it, it's not criticizing your country isn't because you you hate it; it is because you love it so much.
1: Absolutely correct. Thank you so much, sir, for your time. I appreciate all the work you've done, your service, and um, talking with us today.
2: Thank you so much, AJ. really enjoyed talking to you.
1: Stay tuned for some thoughts about race in America and details about our next guest.
0: You're listening to Colors. Hey there, this is Malcolm Sherrod. I'm
1: a Black American from South Florida. And what do I think about race in America? I think America's biggest problem has been its constant denial that it has a race problem. However, I do think we are finally in a moment where there is a reckoning. I just hope that people will work earnestly to do the right thing and not just walk the walk, but talk the talk.
0: This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.
1: If you have any questions or comments about Colors, send us an email. You can reach us at colors at thecolorspodcast.com. That's colors at thecolorspodcast.com. My name
0: is Paine Hidalgo. I identify as a Black
1: Latina. My name is Jerry. I'm an African-American from Bowie, Maryland, by way of St. Croix, U.S. Virgin Islands.
2: My name is Katie Musselman. I am a Korean adoptee who was raised and currently live in Hartleysville, Pennsylvania.
0: And I'm JJ Green. I'm Black. And this is Colors. Coming up in our next episode of Colors.
1: Each week you hear people telling us their names, their ethnicities, where they're from, and their stories. But next week, a whole show of people's names, ethnicities, where they're from, and what it all means.
0: That's coming up in our next episode of Colors.
1: Thank you again, as always, for listening. Making time for us, thank you to Hillary Howard, Mike Chikaitis, Joel Oxley, Julia Ziegler. Thank you to Rose Varner Gaskins. Thank you to Ernie Green. Thank you to Thetford Collins. Thank you to Earl Uriah Robinson. Thank you to the CORE family. Thank you to Gina Bazemore. Thank you for our music, Jesse Gallagher. Thank you, Cosmic. Thank you, Shane, And most of all, thank you for listening. And just remember, keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other.
0: You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast DC, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.